And we found that in this sample, foundation boards were 99% white, two-thirds male, and only 3% of those boards were under the age of 45. Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London. And the purpose of the podcast is to inspire our listeners to be more philanthropic, to act more sustainably, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. And please do subscribe to the podcast. It makes a world of difference to us. So today, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome aboard Carol Mack. She's the Chief Executive of the Association of Charitable Foundations here in the UK. And they represent about 380 foundations who hold assets around 50 billion pounds worth of assets and annually grant out about 2.5 billion pounds. So, Carol, welcome on board. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Those are some impressive numbers. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Association of Charitable Foundations? Okay. So, we're the membership association for grant-making trusts and foundations based in the UK. And our mission is to support foundations to be ambitious and effective in the way that they use their resources for social good. Excellent. How did you start working at this uh, at this organization? How did that happen? Yes, I started working at ACF over a decade ago. I joined the association as the membership services manager, uh, and I've been the chief executive for coming up for three years now. I've stayed at ACF because I love working with foundations. At their best, they're the most transparent, intentional, and efficient way of transforming private wealth into public benefit. Uh, they're an immense force for good, and it's the sort of place where you learn something new every day. Our members fund such a variety of work. They fund in very different places, from Syria to the Isle of Wight. Uh, they fund for a multitude of charitable purposes, everything from uh, funding what should the new rules be about how we use digital technology in our society, through to repairing the roofs in church halls and community centers. And they're motivated by an incredible range of passions, from a passion for social justice through to a love of choral music. So there's a saying about the foundation sector that once you've met one foundation, you've met one foundation. Uh And I think that's very true. That's good. That's good. And what's the difference between a foundation and a charity? I notice on your website, you represent foundations and also grant-making charities. Why don't you... Tell the audience a little bit about how you distinguish between these different entities. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. And it's a question that varies depending on um, which jurisdiction that you're in. And I know that you have listeners from around the world. So in the UK context, um, foundations are all charities. So they're a subset of the charity sector. There is no legal definition for what a foundation is, unlike some countries where there is in Germany and in the Netherlands, it will be defined in law. You might wonder how we can be an association of foundations if there's no such thing as Mm -hmm. a legal definition of a foundation. Um, But what we mean is an organization that has resources. So it may have been set up by a family with resources or a company. So it doesn't usually have to fundraise. And its focus is on how it can use those resources for social good. Very often, that will be by making grants, um, giving funding to organizations or people or movements. Um, But sometimes foundations will also use the resources themselves to run their own programs. Mm -hmm. 
And who is it that joins you? So when you have, say you have 380 members, is it the, the CEO of a foundation who raises their hand and says, yeah, I want to join this association? Is it a family member? or Who are the, uh, the stakeholders who make that active decision to, to join your, your association of charitable foundations? Well, the members are the organizations. So we mm -hmm. have 380 organizational members. And anyone associated with that foundation can access our services, come to our events. So it doesn't matter whether you're a board member, a grants officer, um, any of those people are very, very welcome to come to our events. And the decision maker really there is, you know, a quarter of our members give under a quarter of a million pounds a year. Okay. Um, there, they're very likely to be entirely volunteer led and it's likely to be the trustees that will access ACF services. At the other end of the scale, we've got some really big foundations that are members of ACF. Um, the Wellcome Trust is a global foundation, and any number of people from the Wellcome Trust um, will be able to come along and, and access our services. Tell me, are there organizations similar to yours in other jurisdictions? Yes, absolutely. So ACF is a member of a European-wide organization called DAFNI. Okay. Um, we're the, that's the European Network of Networks. So I regularly meet with my opposite number in, in the other European countries. So we have a lot of links, um, say, with the German Association for Foundations, the Dutch Association for Foundations. And then globally, we're members of a global network of networks called WINGS. Uh -huh. And that connects um, association support bod foundation support bodies and philanthropy support bodies globally. I understand. And ultimately, what is it that you want to achieve in terms of the support you provide foundations? Where, where is the biggest need? Is it just a, a wish for foundations that they want to improve their sophistication, their knowledge base, their best practice, their networking? What, what is it that you hear from the, from the market in terms of what they want, what they need? Yeah, well, I think the context is that it's an increasingly challenging context for foundations. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think in the past, foundations were met with, and philanthropy generally, was met with civic gratitude. Um, and increasingly, as we're seeing um, globally, a rising trend for distrust of institutions, we're seeing growing scrutiny of philanthropy and of foundations. So that whereas foundations are generally seen um, as a good thing, um, no questions asked, now... Society is, in general, asking more questions of philanthropy. Um, people want to know where a foundation's money came from, uh, where a foundation is investing, and where a foundation is giving its funding. And as part of our mission to support foundations to be ambitious and effective in the way they use their resources, we're responding to foundations' own desire to be the best they possibly can be in their pursuit of social good. Uh, so a very good example of that would be our Stronger Foundations Initiative. Okay. Uh, we, we launched this about 18 months ago to respond to this desire for foundations to examine their own practice and to be able to welcome scrutiny positively because we know we're doing the right thing and can demonstrate that. Um, so Stronger Foundations is a member-led initiative. We have over 80 of our members involved. Um, we've got six working groups that are looking at different aspects of foundation practice, everything from strategy and governance, um, funding practice, intentional investing. 
And each of those six working groups are conducting a process of inquiry, really, into what excellence looks like for mm-hmm. that particular topic area. Uh, we were very excited a couple of weeks ago when the first working group completed its deliberation. All of these deliberations are on our website, by the way, and they're a fantastic resource for people that are interested in foundation practice. Mm-hmm. The first group to report was looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what foundations can do around their practice in that area. Um, and we we published the findings of that with nine pillars of good foundation practice. And we were very encouraged by the response. What do you, um, on that very last point there, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, what's the state of affairs in the UK? Do you find that there is an opportunity to improve on those points? Or are things pretty robust already and, and quite diverse? Well, there are pockets of excellent practice. But overall, the UK charity sector is um, disproportionately homogenous. It doesn't reflect UK society. Right. And foundations are, are even worse than the wider charitable sector. We have some evidence on this. Um, a year or so ago, we commissioned some research into foundation boards. Mm-hmm. And we found that in this sample, foundation boards were 99% white, <laughs> two-thirds male, and only 3% of those boards were under the age of 45. Now, there right. are some structural reasons why philanthropy uh, may not be um, diverse. Um, for example, if you have a family foundation, it's not uncommon for the board to be drawn exclusively from that family. Mm-hmm. So there are some reasons why the sector might be structured in that way. Uh, it might be understandable, but it isn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has, in a way, been a wake-up call for the UK foundation sector. And I have to say that the um, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Initiative has been something that foundations have engaged very positively with. And already, two weeks since the report launch, we've heard back from a number of foundations that are saying we've taken this report to our board. We're looking at uh, what it means for us and our practice. And our our hope and aspiration at ACF is that we can continue to support foundations to think through the nine pillars in that report and really apply them to their practice. Now, there is some excellent practice in the foundation sector, but those stats alone tell you that that the foundation sector has a way to go. Sure, sure. Well, and it's wonderful to hear that there's some uh, recognition of that and and will to, um, to address the matter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have an annual conference that on our conference last year, um, we always ask the floor for its view on um, issues of concern. And last year, we sort of asked, what are the key areas of concern for your foundation? Now, the number one answer was lack of resources, mm-hmm. which might sound kind of weird when you're sitting in a room full of foundations with resources. But I think what people there were responding to is the mismatch between need and the amount of resource available to to meet that need. But the number two issue was diversity. So that was recognized as as a major concern by foundations. So, yes, uh, there's a way to go. How do you address that? How might they address that? And I mean, is it a question of... uh instructing their uh, their executive search firms to to look more broadly uh, and to be proactive is it a question of yeah I think I think that's part of it I think the challenge with executive search firms is that often their model is that they'll find somebody already doing that role um, and then recommend them to you now given that the challenge is that people aren't already 
doing that role, that's not going to solve the problem. You have to look more broadly. Um, you have to recruit for potential as well as experience. Um, and that I think also you have to look in the right place. So there are loads of uh, loads of people with very relevant skills and experience who just aren't thinking of going onto a foundation board. Um, and that recruitment consultant will have to think laterally in order to find them. Um, mm-hmm. But there are, the good news is there are there are lots of examples of how foundations are are working on this. Um, some of the examples we've pulled out in our report, um, along with nine pillars of excellent practice. It's not just about your board; it's about the culture that you have at your foundation. It's about your grant making. Um, so yes, but there are some real um, pointers for how you can. Um, start to make a change in in the report and mm-hmm. we look forward to continuing to support our members that's in that wonderful. area that's wonderful i imagine even the transparency is a question sometimes right i mean you have some boards that you don't understand how on earth they came to be it's um, they're very opaque uh, the mechanisms yes. that that drove that uh, constitution together Yes. I mean, in the UK, in fact, transparency and engagement is one of the other um, topics Mm -hmm. that Stronger Foundations is looking at. Um, So, again, that's an an interesting area to talk about. I think in the UK, because you, as a charity, you have to publish your annual accounts. They're available from the regulator's website. As part of the accounting regulations, you have to say how your board is recruited so and who your trustees are. So already there's a level of transparency about foundation boards in the UK that maybe there isn't in other jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. But clearly, transparency is a good thing. It builds trust, builds legitimacy, promotes efficiency, uh, can result in more equitable access. Um, and I think also transparency isn't an unmitigated good. There are limits. Um, to transparency. For example, if you're a human rights funder, you might be funding something like LGBT rights in Tanzania. You might not want to be completely transparent about the groups you're funding because that might imperil the work they're engaged with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there are interesting questions around transparency for philanthropy. I mean, you must see this too. Very often, uh, philanthropy is very personal. Um, So when does someone's personal rights to privacy, how do they overlap uh, with with the desire for an institution to be transparent? Um, quite often, people are motivated by faith. And if that faith tradition um, for a private philanthropist who chooses to give through a foundation, if that faith tradition is about giving, in, giving uh, modestly and giving without fanfare, how does that overlap? Uh, with a desire for greater transparency. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, There's a fantastic initiative here in the UK called 360 Giving. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've come across it. Mm -hmm. Um, They'd be a good podcast, actually. (laughs) It was set up up by by a philanthropist who, when she set up, uh, she wanted to talk to other um, philanthropists funding in the same area, and she couldn't readily find them. So she launched a campaign to get foundations to release their grants data in open data format so that it's readily searchable. Um, And if you look on 360 Giving's website, um, you'll see um, a a number of uh, institutions, I think it was over 100 last time I looked, who've released their grants data so that you can see exactly where that money went. So that's a fantastic example of a transparency initiative led by foundations. Speaking of websites, what's your website address? 
Our website address is www.acf.org.uk. Mm. And we've got a special page on there for Stronger Foundations. Um, because of the wonders of technology, we've been able to have some global leaders contributing to the um, Stronger Foundations deliberations, and we've got write-ups from all of the sessions on there. Right. Who does your research? Is this the, um, the human capital, the staff, the team members from your member, member organizations, or do you have a, a research function in-house that, um, that creates these reports on diversity or funding trends and so forth? It depends on the topic. So um, on the Stronger Foundation, the particular um, topic areas are led by members. So we have a, a working group of members chaired by a member. Um, members are serving in the groups mm -hmm. and they're identifying um, people that they want to hear from to inform their thinking on the subject area. We have a fantastic policy team. Um, and the um, reports that are coming out of Stronger Foundations are, are written in-house. Okay. Um, we felt it was important that working group members didn't have to uh, sign up to the, the findings from their um, area of inquiry. So the, the reports themselves are owned and written by ACF. But we do also work with external reachers. So researchers. So one of the um, reports you mentioned, Foundation Giving Trends, mm -hmm an annual snapshot of um, giving trends data. It looks at the largest 300 foundations in the UK and it looks at their assets and it looks at their income and their expenditure in any year. And there we partner uh, with an academic, Professor Cathy Farrow um, from the CAS Business School and Cat Walker. Um, and they are experts in this field and, and they, um, they do the research and then in conversation with them, we look at what the messages are for foundations from the, from the figures and the research that they've done. Mm -hmm. Let me touch on something you mentioned a little bit earlier, which was about some of the concern that your member organizations had regarding resources and scarcity of resources. And even though yes. they have an abundance of resources, the need is still greater. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it's a very good point. I mean, when you did the introduction, you were talking about the fifty billion pounds worth of assets that ACF members have. Um, foundation giving trends last year, just looking at the largest three hundred foundations, found uh, sixty-five billion pounds worth of assets. Foundations giving two point nine billion a year. Mm -hmm. Now that sounds like an immense amount of money. And of course, it is a lot of money. It has uh, the immense potential for good. But if you compare it to government spend in the UK, that is less than half a percent of government spend. And quite often, foundations will be concerned about issues that are also rightly concerned at the state. Many foundations will fund health or education um, or social welfare. They might be concerned about tackling poverty or inequality. A growing number are concerned about climate crisis and climate change. And when you think about the magnitude of the challenges that we face as a society, that money, large though it is in daily terms, that money is very small. Mm -hmm. And that's why foundations will often seek to work in collaboration with others and will look for that sweet spot where their funding will really make a difference, where they can do something that other institutions and organizations can't do because of that money is, is so precious um, given the challenges we face today. 
couple of questions to follow up from that. Do you find that there are more or there's an increasing appetite for these sort of collaboratives between different foundations to pull together expertise and resources as in a, in a sort of unified manner and, uh, and tackle something specifically? And, and then the other point, do you find an increasing appetite to collaborate with government in order to, yeah. to drive things forward? Yes, on both of those counts. Um, in Foundation Giving Trends a couple of years ago, we took a specific look at this. We looked at um, examples of foundations coming together to work together on issues. We stratified the data and looked throughout the largest 300 foundations. And at every point in, the, in that top 300, we found examples of foundations working together on issues of common concern. And I think increasingly, you were asking about um, government. Mm -hmm. um, there's a very interesting interplay between um, what the state will fund and what foundations will fund. Um, the traditional model was always that foundations would fund the innovative practice. Um, they'd prove the need. Uh, they'd prove um, uh, an intervention that worked. They then or the people they funded would then make the case to government that this should be included as part of general provision and then government would roll it out. Now that work model worked well during a time of expanding state spending, but that's certainly not what we're seeing in the UK. Uh, we're seeing um, government contracting um, the type of services that it's willing to fund. And that's posing some interesting challenges for foundations. Uh, quite clearly, they can't fill the gap their funding, mm -hmm. as we've established, is small compared to that of the state. But then what do they do? If they funded a particular subject area over decades, do they just let that fall because the state has retreated? Um, that's really a, a, a question that foundations are responding to in different ways today. So it's still a question mark there. There's no conclusive response from the foundation's world. No, there are, there are different examples. I mean, some, some foundations have withdrawn from particular areas. Um, other foundations have, um, have funded the organizations that they work with um, to take the time to think about how they're going to configure themselves uh, in this new reality. Uh, others have identified, um, if you like, key organizations in a field that they're concerned about and have funded those. Uh, some foundations have... Um, focus more on giving unrestricted funding. Mm -hmm. um, so funding that will allow the people that they are supporting to respond and flex uh, in the light of changing circumstances. So as you can tell, there's a, there's a multiplicity of responses. One size doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a still unfolding story, I would say. Yeah. And thematically speaking, uh, do you find any, any shifts maybe more um, funding the arts to a lesser extent and maybe funding development issues to a greater extent uh, or also geographically funding things uh, locally versus funding things internationally or the global south? Or... Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think I haven't seen anything big like that with foundations shifting their resources in that way. Mm -hmm. um, the foundation sector is is pretty old in the UK. So there are a number of foundations that are very ancient. We have a couple of members that precede the Magna Carta, mm -hmm. if you can imagine that. Mm -hmm. so that's pretty old. And, and back then, when people set up foundations, they were very concerned about a particular place 
and they often had locally based um, charitable objectives. I observe that foundations that have been set up more recently often have more of an international focus um, and I've also seen foundations that have been set up more recently having more of a focus on climate crisis mm -hmm. and climate change and environmental funding. But that's not to say that some of these very ancient foundations are not changing with the times too. Sure. Uh, one of the foundations that I mentioned that um, predates the Magna Carta also has an active social investment um, program whereby um, they're not giving a grant um, and expecting no return. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're giving money for a social purpose and asking that some of the income stream that that generates is repaid to the foundation so that they can recycle that grant mm -hmm. and spend it on other things. But the, the point you raise about place is an interesting one, um, particularly since the Brexit vote in the UK, mm -hmm. there has been a renewed focus on place, although it was a trend that was already evident before that um, decision. Um, foundations... Um, that some nationally have increasingly been interested in how they, as a national funder, understand the dynamics in a particular geographical location. Uh, so place-based place funding has been, if you like, a, a, a recent trend. And even the government has uh, got in on the act. Mm -hmm. um, the Office for Civil Society, which is the part of the Westminster government that's responsible for the charity sector, in its latest civil society strategy, there's a reference there to place-based funding and understanding the importance of place. And I find that interesting that that's almost back to the roots of philanthropy a very long time ago. You mentioned about social impact investing. And besides yeah. the research that you uh, facilitate and drive forward, I notice also you're very involved in convening networks or facilitating conversations uh, one on mental health, but also one on social impact investing. Do you find that there's a lot of interest in sort of uh, both members getting together around specific networks within your uh, auspices? And do you find social impact investing as, as you've defined it there in one of your networks of particular interest? Yes, I think, I think both of those are right. ACF has been around for 30 years. And although um, our genesis is somewhat lost in the mists of time, I understand, my understanding is that some of the networks that are still running today actually predate the formation of ACF. Uh -huh. So foundations have always wanted to come together to talk about um, their area of funding interest. I mean, that's why they're there. They're set up uh, with a mission and a purpose that's not focused on being a foundation. It's focused on making a change um, around a particular area or trying to preserve something around a particular area. So that's where a lot of the energy is in our network, foundations talking about the issues that matter to them, whether that's mental health, children and young people, any of the areas that foundations fund in. Mm -hmm. And then social impact investing, yes, that has been a big interest for foundations. I mean, arguably, foundations have always done social investing. If you look back at um, some of the charitable activity in the 1400s. Some of that was about providing loans to enable people to enter a profession. Um, and arguably, that's a form of social investment. But most recently, there, there has been a, a growing interest in that in the UK. 
um, some of the pioneers of this most recent wave of social impact investing have been foundations. Um, and as foundations do, they've come together um, to share their experience and expertise, um, to grow the level of interest and to grow the standards for social investing. So, yes, yeah. we support a network called the SIG, the Social Impact Investors Group. Yes, that's an important strand of work for us. That's excellent. And how do the foundations talk to Westminster? How does your organization, how do, how do your members interact with government in the UK? Yes. Well, it, it's very varied depending on the foundation. So some um, foundations have long interacted with government. Um, they've uh, set up joint funding programs with government. Um, for some areas of foundation work, it's essential really to work with the government on issues of common concern. Um, and that might be around funding programs, particularly foundations that fund capital programs with universities or arts institutions. Sometimes it's around um, influencing. Mm -hmm. Something we haven't touched on is that although foundations' assets are often monetized, foundations have other assets too. Mm -hmm. So they have um, access to networks. They have a helicopter view of the area in which they fund. They've got expertise that's interesting to government, not expertise in, in, in doing the work um, that they fund, but expertise in the field in which they operate. They've got a helicopter view of what's happening, um, say, in criminal justice or in a particular art form. Mm -hmm. And that's of interest to government too. Um, so a, a recent initiative that ACS um, has been involved with has been something called the Members Policy Forum, okay. whereby we bring together foundations with um, government officials on particular issues. Um, and um, that's been incredibly helpful in um, raising the level of knowledge around particular issues. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, one of the first meetings of that forum was around child sexual exploitation. Uh, we brought together some of our members that fund preventative work in that field. They brought together a couple of the organizations that they fund that actually work on the front line. And we brought together officials from the Home Office right. who are responsible in the government response for tackling child sexual child sexual exploitation. And the gov one of the government officials said it was the first time in 10 years of working in that field that they'd met a foundation. And that's just such a chronic waste of expertise that um, I think that uh, policy forum is incre incredibly important work. That is amazing. I mean, some foundations, particularly the large ones, they are almost quasi-academic institutions in some respect. I mean, the degree of expertise they have in-house and just the sheer intellectual power that they have in-house. They recruit from some of the best universities. They, they learn from the work on the field. Really impressive a lot of the times. Absolutely, yes. And many of them are already experts at um, sharing that work with government, influencing change. Um, and that's absolutely right. We, we applaud them in that. Our role is not to replace that, but to add value. Mm. And um, when a, you know, a foundation may, may, much of its work, it might not, might not have something that's particularly relevant to government. Our role is to broker those opportunities so that um, both sides um, can share as and when that's most useful. Mm -hmm. And how did you get into this 
Tell me a little bit about your journey to where you are today. Well, my first ever role was in business, uh, and I worked in business for around seven years. Um, I then decided that wasn't how I wanted to spend the rest of my career. I felt I wanted to move into the charity sector. At that time, the um, business I was working for was very focused on shareholder value. Mm -hmm. And I can remember standing in the lift looking at a mission statement that our mission was to maximize shareholder value. And that's a worthy, that's a worthy cause, you know, uh, pension funds depend on shareholder value, sure. but it wasn't really the epitaph I wanted on my gravestone. I mm -hmm. maximized shareholder value. <laughs> so I wanted to find something that was more overtly altruistic, where it was easier to make the links between social good and what I was doing. Um, and I got a job. Uh, I worked for a neighbor mediation center for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, then I worked for the government regulator, the Charity Commission, um, which was fascinating. I got such an insight into the variety of charitable activity in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, I was there for about seven years, um, and then I moved across to ACF. Right, right. So I've had a checkered career, all three sectors, public, private, and charitable. And what about folks who are currently in the private sector, but maybe looking to explore career opportunities in the foundations world. Any words of wisdom? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think having some experience of um, working in a charity is helpful. There are lots of voluntary board positions mm -hmm. um, where business expertise is really helpful um, and can give um, a additional insights to charities. ACF has a jobs board. Quite often there'll be um, trustee opportunities on there. Um, culturally, I would say the sectors are different. Um, they have much to learn from each other. And a word of wisdom would be don't walk in from the business sector saying you're doing it all wrong. You need to do it this way. Mm -hmm. There's a, a, a phrase for that in the charity sector, biz-splaining, whereby Businesses explain to charities how uh, they're doing it wrong and they need to be more like businesses. I think, you know, each sector has its strengths uh, and it's important to build on those strengths um, mm -hmm. rather than to override them. Mm -hmm. What's um, what success look like to you in the next 10 years? Well, I hope we have made serious strides in tackling the climate crisis mm -hmm. uh, because if we haven't, we're in trouble. Yeah. Um, there is very limited time to stop the inexorable rise of global temperature. Um, that's climate change is the topic for ACF's annual conference this year. Okay. Um, and um, I think it needs to be more front and center in everyone's thoughts. Um, too often it's seen as a scientific abstraction and mm -hmm. it's not. There are real uh, issues of equity, inequality, intersectionality, the people who are going to be most impacted by climate crisis, the people who are already being most impacted by the climate crisis are um, the people whose voices are not heard mm. in decision making. So for me, that that is the question over the next 10 years. How do we as a global community um, do what it takes to tackle that issue? Are you feeling optimistic? Uh, you've got to, haven't you? There's always hope. Um, I heard a presentation by Lord Stern a few years ago mm -hmm. talking about some of the technologies that would be key to overcoming 
the climate crisis and storage of energy is one of the big issues, lithium batteries. And, mm-hmm. You know, we have so much potential that there is so much creativity and energy. You have to believe that globally that can result in a better way of structuring ourselves. And I suppose that's the other um, big issue that sitting here, we can't see how that will play out. Um, We've seen an absolute revolution in digital technology and technologies more general. My aspiration for the next 10 years will be that they are harnessed for social good uh, rather than um, uh, nudging us further towards a digital dystopia Mm-hmm. Um, that we have the conversations that are needed to ensure that digital is, is a force for good. What's your um, what's the key takeaway you'd like to leave for our listeners today after the podcast? What what is it that they um, that you'd like them to remember after they uh, conclude the episode today? Well, particularly for foundations, and also it applies to all of us. What you do really matters. There are so many challenges out there. And you as foundations particularly have resources in which you can do something about these challenges and the opportunities. So be thoughtful, be intentional in what you do and and treat your role with respect. Look at all of your assets and how they can be deployed in furtherance of your own mission, whatever that is. Wonderful. Well, that's a very good way to conclude the episode for today. Carol, thank you so very much. It's really been great speaking with you. I know it's been a little while since our last catch-up. I hope um, I hope you have success with um, with the work you're doing and representing the best of philanthropy and and foundations here in the UK. And so, thank you very much for taking the time. I, I, I appreciated um, very much. Enjoyed speaking with you today. I enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much, and thank you to all your listeners as well. Please do subscribe if you enjoy the show. Please click that subscribe button. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully, these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.